Kia ora and welcome to the Amateur Austin Night. I'm Frances Duncan, an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. With me today is Emma. Hello. Who is a fellow member of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. What was your first introduction to Jane Austen? My parents had a paperback copy of Pride and Prejudice on the bookshelf and I was working my way through their bookshelf around about 10. Not sure that I understood all of it, but I do know that I loved it and I have been reading them ever since. And today we're going to be discussing Letter 5 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. And I think I won the battle to read it. (laughs) Yes, I am allowing... Francis to read letter five. It's a good one. Letter five. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson. Churchill. I received your note, my dear Alicia, just before I left town, and rejoice to be assured that Mr. Johnson suspected nothing of your engagement the evening before. It is undoubtedly better to deceive him entirely. Since he will be stubborn, he must be tricked. I arrived here in safety and have no reason to complain of my reception from Mr. Vernon, but I confess myself not equally satisfied with the conduct of his lady. She is perfectly well-bred indeed, and has the air of a woman of fashion, but her manners are not such as can persuade me of her being prepossessed in my favour. I wanted her to be delighted at seeing me. I was as amiable as possible on the occasion, but all in vain. She does not like me. To be sure, when we consider I did take some pains to prevent my brother-in-law's marrying her, this want of cordiality is not very surprising. And yet it shows in a liberal and vindictive spirit to resent a project which influenced me six years ago, and which never succeeded at last. I am sometimes half disposed to repent that I did not let Charles buy Vernon Castle when we were obliged to sell it, but it was a trying circumstance. Especially as the sale took place exactly at the time of his marriage. And everybody ought to respect the delicacy of those feelings, which could not endure that my husband's dignity should be lessened by his younger brother's having possession of the family estate. Could matters have been so arranged as to prevent the necessity of our leaving the castle? Could we have lived with Charles and kept him single? I should have been very far from persuading my husband to dispose of it elsewhere. But Charles was then on the point of marrying Mr. Corsi, and the event has justified me. Here are children in abundance, and what benefit could have accrued to me from his purchasing Vernon? My having prevented it may perhaps have given his wife an unfavourable impression. But where there is a disposition to dislike, a motive will never be wanting. And as to money matters, it has not withheld him from being very useful to me. I really have a high regard for him. He is so easily imposed on. The house is a good one, the furniture fashionable, and everything announces plenty and elegance. Charles is very rich, I am sure. When a man has once got his name in a banking house, he rolls in money. But they do not know what to do with their fortune, keep very little company, and never go to town but on business. We shall be as stupid as possible. I mean to win my sister-in-law's heart through her children. I know all their names already, and I'm going to attach myself with the greatest sensibility to one in particular, a young Frederick, whom I take on my lap and sigh over for his dear uncle's sake. Poor Mannering. I need not tell you how much I miss him, how perpetually he is in my thoughts. I found a dismal letter from him on my arrival here, full of complaints of his wife and sister, and lamentations on the cruelty of his fate. I passed off the letter as his wife's to the Vernons, and when I write to him, it must be undercover to you. Yours ever, S.V. Her letters are so much fun to read. They really are. She doesn't beat around the bush when she's writing to her friend. We've got some exposition-y things in here. 
We find out that Lady Susan tried to stop the wedding, did not want Mr. Corsi to become Mrs. Vernon, and also she stopped Mr. Vernon from buying Vernon Castle, his family estate. So we don't know what it was about Mr. Corsi, now Mrs. Vernon, her sister-in-law, that Lady Susan didn't like in particular. Do we find that out? I think it's more that it wasn't someone of her choosing. Consider when she says that she would have been happy to sell to Mr. Vernon if they could have lived with him and kept him single. So she would have remained the lady of the house. And it almost sounds like he would have been their pet. They would have sold it to him, but in fact remained the master and mistress of the house and just kept Charles quietly in some room on the side. And that would have suited her very nicely. And suited her husband's dignity. So in fact, that might be why she was trying to prevent the marriage, because she had a plan to sell it to him and keep him single. It's a bit hard to tell, isn't it? Who knows with Lady Susan, but you would have thought she couldn't possibly have kept him perpetually single. I wouldn't put it past her potentially seducing him and keeping him on a leash. But she does make the argument about her husband's dignity being lessened by his younger brother's having possession of the family estate. So if her husband loses face, she loses face. So I understand that perspective, her not wanting to sell. She could quite possibly pretend that they never sold, though. She could continue to live her life as if they still owned the castle. I can absolutely see Lady Susan doing that. Yes, that's very true. She could have. But, yeah, Mr. Corsi, Mrs. Vernon, would have messed things up. Maybe you're right. Had that marriage not happened, maybe the sale of the castle would have gone through. I can see it would have been an excellent solution to Lady Susan's problems. She would have had the money and the castle. No wonder she tried to stop the marriage. There's a really telling line that I think sums up everything about Lady Susan. What benefit could have accrued to me? Mm. I think that's how she runs everything in her life. How does that work for me? What's the outcome for me? I don't want you to marry this woman because there's no good outcome for me. Yes, she's very outcome focused. There's another part in which she says that because her plan to stop the marriage didn't work, therefore it didn't matter that there was a plan. It's part of her argument why Mrs Vernon should forget that she ever tried to stop the marriage, that it was illiberal and vindictive of her, because the plan didn't work. Which is really the pot calling the kettle black. But certainly it's a kind of a, an end justifies the meaning kind of argument that if it didn't work out, it's as if it never happened. It was six years ago. Surely she should have got over it by now. But that gives us a clear timeline. They've been mm. married six years. She's still never met the sister-in-law or the kids. Because presumably there's nothing in it for her. There are lots of other gems of information here. We know why Charles is rich. He's made his money in banking. He rolls in money. I love that. It's quite a visual image. I like to think of Charles rolling around in money, which at that time, I guess, many of it would have been gold coins. You'd get a bit bruised rolling in money. Very Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) And we find out the name of Lady Susan's husband and Frederica's father, the young Frederick Vernon. Which only this reading of the letter did it click for me. 
I've read this how many times <laughs> and not realized. Which is why you reread and reread, because we only get it that one time. And we find out how the clandestine correspondence between Mannering and Lady Susan is conducted. We know that a letter comes into the house from Mannering to Lady Susan and she passes it off as having come from Mrs. Mannering. And how Lady Susan is going to get letters back to him is via Mrs. Johnson. I assume she's sending them to Mrs. Johnson, then Mrs. Johnson is sending them on. Yes, I think so. So it's not clear where it's coming from. Yes. Ah, Mrs. Johnson has a lot of jobs. She does a lot of running around after Lady Susan. Her husband's interesting. Poor Mr. Johnson. His wife is tricking him. Lady Susan is happy that he does not realise that she and Alicia have been hanging out in town together. It's better to deceive him entirely. This is a beautiful line, though. Since he will be stubborn, he must be tricked. It feels very much like she's just shrugging him off. The logic is inescapable. People who don't do what Lady Susan wants them to do must be deceived. It naturally follows. She is deceiving people who are doing what she wants as well. (laughs) Perhaps we should just say people must be deceived. People must be deceived because she talks about Mr. Vernon. I really have a regard for him. He is so easily imposed on. That's what she values. He is still helping her out monetarily, despite his wife not liking her. As to money matters, it is not withheld him from being very useful to me. But as we discussed in letter one, it is his obligation now as the head of the family to be supporting the indigent wife of his dead brother and his niece. There's a beautiful piece of philosophy from Lady Susan here. Where there is a disposition to dislike, a motive will never be wanting. It makes me think of... Willoughby and Sense and Sensibility wanting to dislike Colonel Brandon and saying he wouldn't buy my horse and he wanted it to rain on a day when I wanted it to be sunny. Like, you just want some reason to dislike him so you'll come up with something. I have found that statement in life to be true. I think that that's a bit of authorial voice delivering us a pearl of wisdom. Jane Austen is full of them. I do think it's a good strategy to win your sister-in-law's heart through her children. Because she needs to keep Mrs. Vernon on her side while she's living in her house. Otherwise, she'd take no notice of the children. That's right. And she has judged her sister-in-law's character, found her weakness, and is exploiting it. I'd say that's pretty much her modus operandi, isn't it? It's what she's good at. Learn your strategy from Lady Susan. You can't go wrong. You don't need some, so you just need Lady Susan. And that is our discussion of Letter 5 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. I'm Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan and Instagram at Francis Duncan Does. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. I should like to read it, but I think you love reading these. I do enjoy it. Learn your strategy from Lady Susan. You can't go wrong. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. 
That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!